This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. Hello and welcome to the 50 Feminist States podcast. My name is L'Oreal Thompson-Payton and I'm one of the podcast fellows for this year. In this episode, I interview Regina Townsend, founder of The Broken Brown Egg, an infertility advocacy blog and source of connection for individuals seeking a personal story of infertility written from the African-American viewpoint. As a blogger and infertility advocate, Regina uses words and outreach to provide support and resources to those who have been affected by reproductive health difficulties and their mental, social, and emotional impacts. I absolutely adore Regina. She's someone who's helped me in my own infertility journey, and especially now that I'm pregnant. And I just know her words are going to help and heal others as well. Without further ado, let's welcome Regina Townsend. Well, hi, Regina, and welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here today. How are you? Thank you. I'm excited. This is so much fun. I was looking forward to this all week. Me too. This is definitely the highlight. So I, of course, could speak about you forever and glowingly, but would love to hear in your own words uh, what it is that you do, what you're about, and how the Broken Brown A came to be. Well, professionally, I'm a young adult librarian, so I work with teenagers. And over the course of the past 12 years, I have been the founder and executive director of The Broken Brown Egg, which started as an advocacy blog, really for me to get my thoughts out about experiencing infertility as a woman of color. And then it has morphed into a nonprofit, and we've we've tried to push the conversation because that is what I felt was missing in regards to infertility is we weren't represented even in the marketing for fertility treatments. And there's no fertility centers in predominantly Black neighborhoods or neighborhoods of color. And so getting that conversation going so that not only were those who were in power in the reproductive health industry aware that we needed it, but also so that people of color understood, yes, we need these things too. I know it doesn't look like it and you may not think it and stereotypes say that we don't, but we need these things too. We actually experience infertility at twice the rate. So getting that conversation going has been therapeutic for me in navigating infertility and all of the things that you know are attached to it that we don't think are attached to it. But it's also just been really nice to open this conversation up for not only my family, but seeing so many other people willing to talk about it. So it's a, it's a labor of love and it is just, I, I love, I love the Broken Brown Egg. It came about from a very needed place for me. And I can see now that it was needed for so many other people. Including myself, I have to tell you, and thank you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, because when I got that infertility diagnosis, it rocked, it shattered my world, really. And what made it worse was then looking at, you know, the devotional that I read in the Bible app and the support groups were all white women going to the fertility clinic that 
our doctor recommended, and we have since switched because I didn't like it. <laughs> and what looking you around, do. you gotta do, you have to advocate for yourself. Listen, we could yes. mm, everything, mm-hmm. but <laughs> looking around and not seeing anyone who looked like us, not a speck of melanin, not in the patients or the doctors or, you know, the babies they put on the bulletin board to represent the success stories. It takes what's already an isolating situation and exacerbates it because you're just looking around like, where are my people? (laughs) And and do I belong here? Am I welcome here? Am I safe here? Are we successful here? Even if we've been here? Yeah. Is anything, is this going to actually work out for me? Because I don't see any of our babies up on that wall. Yeah. All of that. And that actually leads into you mentioned this before you and I both know from personal experience and research in the matter that we as black women are twice as likely to experience infertility as our counterparts. And yet the least likely to seek treatment have thoughts on why this is, but would love to hear from you what you, yeah, the different factors that go into that. Yeah, I think it's layered. Um, And every year, like I said, I've been the broken brown egg turned 12 this year. So I've been doing this for 12 years and still every year I learn something else where I'm like, oh, well, that's probably part of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's it's double-edged. I think we're least likely to seek treatment for one thing because stereotypes have said that we don't need it. So when something comes up that's a little, you know, like if we have period issues or we're just not getting pregnant, we're more likely to say, oh, let's just that's a fluke. Let me, let me try to figure this out myself before I do anything. Because in our mind, we're hearing the narrative that says black women don't have any trouble getting pregnant. So we're not thinking, oh, I have a fertility issue or I'm infertile. We're thinking this is taking a little bit longer. Let me figure it out. And then once you get past that, there's the idea that we don't even see fertility centers in our neighborhood. So we're, it's not even on our mind. Again, reinforcing the stereotype that we don't need it. You can go around, you know, like in my area on the South side, I will pass Planned Parenthood. I will pass multiple clinics and, and neighborhood health centers, um, dialysis centers, but I won't pass a fertility center or reproductive health fuller conversation because most of us, when we think of Planned Parenthood, especially the way we were taught, I know over, in my neighborhood, it's that's where you go for condoms or when you have an STD or an abortion. That's the main things you hear. So you don't even think about that as a reproductive health center. And so there's all of those things. And then once you get past those layers, when we do think about fertility treatment, we are a little unnerved about the cost. We have a, a preconceived notion about what it's going to cost, because again, if it's touted as something that's only available to middle and upper class white women, we instantly assume, well, that, you know, it's those things where it's like, if you have to ask how much it costs, you can't afford it kind of thing. And so then that adds on to it. And then one of the things that I've uncovered just in the, the nature of learning about our history in regards to medicine is we then have a justified mistrust of the medical system based on so many things that even continue to this day of us not being treated the same as others when they go into a doctor's office, not being believed when we say we have pain, taking longer for us to be diagnosed with things like polycystic ovary syndrome or fibroids or endometriosis. There's so many of these other factors that make it where when it's finally us getting to go time, 
we've had so much trauma from just learning that we have this issue that we thought we didn't have, then finding where the clinics are and going into a neighborhood that we don't know because it's not in our neighborhood, then getting there and not seeing anybody that looks like us that we can confide in, and then listening to a doctor where we've never really had great experiences of listening to doctors. So there's all of these additional compounding layers that make it so much harder than people think when they think, well, just, no, 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 there's layers to <laughs> there's layers to this. You know, if my fertility center is an hour away and I don't drive, it's not in my neighborhood, you know, like think about it. Or even, you know, just this week I was just noticing cause I've moved, I've since moved back to my childhood home, my childhood neighborhood and just driving to work now that I have this commute from the South side to the West suburbs. I noticed all of the pharmacies that I knew of as a child are all closed. Mm. Walgreens is a dialysis center. Now CVS pharmacy is closed. Target closed our store. One of the neighborhood pharmacies is closed and there is a save a lot and a jewel. But if you don't drive, how do you get to those? And so when you look at it from even that perspective, you know, we don't even have access to pharmacies and fresh food, let alone fertility treatment. And it's so heartbreaking because there are people when people think of like Chicago, they think of violence first. And for me, who's lived here my whole life. I don't see that. I see where there was a corner store, where my friends grow up. I speak to my neighbors. I know this block. They know me. So it's really disheartening when you think about the people who are legitimately trying to build their life and achieve what has been told is the dream and the resources just aren't available to them. It's so immediately out of touch emotionally, mentally, and actually. You said it all. And I love how you frame infertility and these reproductive health issues as reproductive justice. Um, I know you mentioned that earlier this year, we were both on the Tammy Mack show and it really was a a light bulb moment for me as well. Cause I'm like, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Why aren't we talking about it as such? So can you elaborate a little bit more on what that means, infertility as a reproductive justice issue? One of the things that I was mentioning to someone just this week is when you think about you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, what other than the attempt to build and grow your family and your life the way you want to is defined as, you know, the pursuit of happiness? What what else could be that, you know? And so when I think about it that way and I look at the inequities, it's it makes you want to fight. It makes you really feel like I was once again, as a Black person in this country, put into, you know, I brought a knife to a gunfight and I didn't know that that was the case. I was told that I needed to be a certain type of person to achieve this. And you didn't tell me the whole story. You didn't tell me everything that was going on. And then as with other things that affect black people, when I find out there's an issue, the onus is now on me to address it as if you didn't keep half of the information away from me or put me in a position, you know, when it comes to things like Target not being, you know, in our community anymore, we didn't ruin the Target and Target was like, we can't be there. They decided this is an underperforming area. And so we're just not going to be there anymore and just left a vacant building in our community. Like those kind of things, when you look at it, you can look at it in a very black and white way and say, well, from a capital capitalist society, if you look at it and it's underperforming, it should go. 
you know, or even if you look at it from the perspective of why aren't there fertility centers here, you could think, well, people in that neighborhood probably don't need it. So it would be, you, you know, there's multiple things. You could look at it and say, they probably don't need it. So the overhead cost of us having a place in that area would be, you know, wouldn't work out for us. And then you could look at it and say, well, having it in that area might not be safe. So now there's all of these things where there is prejudice and systemic racism that are built into why we don't even have the access in the first place. And that's what makes it justice because there are people deserving and you are making a decision based on whatever criteria you've decided that says that they are not worthy of it and not even worthy of the information. And that's what makes it really when it when we talk about justice you know, I, I hate to use such just <laughs> charged words, but, you know, systems are designed to benefit the oppressors and it's designed that way because they have the information. So true justice comes when everybody has the same information and can make the same informed decisions. And so I look at it as a, a justice issue because we're not even given all the information from the start. And so when we look at things like pharmacies and like pharmacy deserts and food deserts, it's, it's full circle. And we think that these things aren't connected, but I tell people it, this is bigger than babies. This is not just wanting to have a baby. It's wanting to have a high quality of life. And so when I look at it and I say, well, I'm not getting pregnant because, oh, as a black woman, I have a higher instance of fibroids or a higher instance of endometriosis. Hmm, what could cause those things? And then as I do the research on that and find that it could be tied to nutrition or it could be tied to my hair care. And then I look at my neighborhood and I say, while I don't have but one grocery store in this amount of space, I do have four beauty supplies, five greasy spoon restaurants, two taco joints, one, you know, three gas stations. Like, and I'm looking at all of that. And now I've looked at what's in my hair, what's in my food, what's in my neighborhood, what's going on with my water. If we look at our our sisters and brothers in Flint, and now I have a fertility issue that I, number one, didn't think I would have. And number two, in some cases could have been preventable had I known that my water wasn't up to par with everyone else, that my food wasn't up to par with everyone else. And now I have to travel (laughs) to a fertility center that is out of my area where I could not be safe. So there's a, so many things that make it a justice issue, that make it where I should be safe to pursue my form of happiness as I see fit in my community, should I choose. And that's, to me, what makes it a justice issue. And I, I've once that light went on of looking at it that way, I can't, I can't turn it off. I, I just can't turn it off now. You can't unsee it. It's all intertwined, especially when you speak on fibroids, because that is the reason for my infertility. It's scar tissue, likely from the myomectomy that I had back in 2017 to remove about 20 fibroids that I had. And it took me three years to get that diagnosis because the doctors didn't believe me. It's like, oh, we'll try this birth control. We'll try that one. And I was like, nothing's working. I have a family history. I know what the issue is. Take these things out of me. And what I asked you to do? Yeah, advocate for yourself so much. And it's so discouraging that it's all related. It's all healthcare, it's all reproductive health. And it's exhausting. It's it's exhausting. exhausting. It's additional layers onto the weathering 
that we have to do anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to be nice at work because then I'm not the angry black woman. And I have to be nice at the doctor's office and not question them because then I'm rude and belligerent and I have to prove that I deserve to be here. So let me make sure that I'm sitting up straight and speaking a certain way. Mm-hmm. And let me make sure that I save up my money before I even go. Because what if they tell me it's too much? I can't be embarrassed in this place. And they find out, oh, she couldn't afford it anyway. Or what if, which is a true story that someone has told me more than once is what if I go in to ask about treatment and just see what it is. And someone tells me, well, we don't have scholarships here for it. Like those kind of things are being said to women of color. And it's, it's such an additional weight on top of everything else that we're trying to, there's so many things up against us from the go. You know, I'm trying to be in a committed relationship when they're telling me that we don't do that. I'm trying to build a family when they're telling me that, well, most of you have kids when you're teenagers anyway. Like mm-hmm. there's so many layers and it's just, it is it's discouraging and disheartening and it just makes you so exhausted. And now I have to also deal with the fact that I'm trying to get my body in many cases to just work properly. Like today I'm wearing white for fibroid awareness month and I'm just like, all right, y'all, I'm gonna put on this white, but we'll see how long this, because it's, it's that it's traumatic. Oh my gosh. You're, you're arranging your whole life, whole life calendar vacations. I still, I missed a friend's wedding reception because I was in the bathroom bleeding half to death. I couldn't go on a camping trip for another friend's birthday because I was on like, I think at that day, at that time, day 20 of my period, you know, it's just like, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's exhausting. Like you said, it is infuriating and you're getting it from all directions because yes, the healthcare system. And I know when we started fertility treatment, well-meaning family members and friends like, oh, you should just pray on it. Yeah. Oh, God has a plan. So now I got to worry if God loves me or not. Listen, (laughs) now I got a question whether or not I'm even worthy, because if it's God's plan, what does that say about what God thinks of me? Okay, thanks for that. All right. It's layered. Mm -hmm. It's layered. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, This is why I love you and Broken Brown Egg so much. Your Instagram posts, you I don't know if you like have a microchip in my brain or something because you take what I'm thinking <laughs> a lot of times and don't necessarily have the ovaries to say to someone out loud. So I'll just repost yours and like subtweet people passive aggressively in that way. But I, like you said, you started the conversation, you've cultivated this community. What can people do, especially you know, if they're listening to this podcast, to increase awareness and decrease the stigma that surrounds infertility, especially in the Black community? Well, I think right now we we're doing it. I think that when I started the program, it was because I didn't see anyone. And now, you know, it's almost beautiful. It's sad that so many of us have these issues, but it's almost beautiful that like we've got the white dress project doing fibroid awareness. And we've got the black women's health imperative working with Sierra to talk about cervical screenings. We've got Indo black talking about endometriosis. We've got fertility for color girls and the cave foundation giving grants. We've got Calais Stewart doing warrior Wednesdays. And there's so many people pushing to get the information out because they're tired of being ashamed of something that they had no control over. And they're tired of, sitting and listening to people spout ignorance because they don't know any better because, you know, unfortunately 
sex ed doesn't cover reproduction. No, it does not. <laughs> and so when we when we look at the environment right now, being vocal about these things, supporting these organizations and individuals who are being vocal, that's how we change this conversation. Getting more comfortable having these conversations with young women, like even in the research that I've done about menstruation and these kind of things and menstrual equity, you know, we don't talk enough about the fact that for some people, they can't go to school because they can't afford pads. They can't even afford it. And if you look at, again, community like mine, where are they going to go get pads? Because you took all the pharmacies away. And so when you look at things like that, talking about that, putting things, you know, like in my work as a librarian in in my young adult lounge, I keep a comfort cabinet. It's literally like a CD storage thing where they can go and get pads, tampons, combs, things like that, that people don't think everybody doesn't have access to. That's something small that, you know, you can have, you know, the same way we've got little free libraries around. What can you do in your, you know, in your four walls or your four inches of space that make it some somebody else's rest stop where you can help them to not feel so alone, help them to feel seen. I think having conversations with younger relatives, our daughters, our nieces, our goddaughters, because they're entering, a lot of times they have zero information. And clearly, (laughs) as we know, we didn't get the greatest information from health class. So the best thing we could do is have straight up conversations that just say, look, if this is ever something you're dealing with, come back and talk to me. You don't have to go all the way, you know, in deep, but there are there are so many changes we could make simply by talking. And it's it's not comfortable for everybody. And I know that, but if you're not comfortable talking, share somebody who is, you know, there's so much that we have grown from. Like when I was researching about menstruation and, and and periods and things like that. It used to be so taboo that mothers didn't talk to their daughters about it at all. And there was even some companies where there would be a little thing that you could cut out in the newspaper, almost like a coupon, that when you go to the store, you just slide that to the shopkeeper and they would grab it for you because you couldn't even say, I need wow. sanitary items. So we have grown in some ways, but we're still kind of doing that. You know, we're still kind of behind the scenes, kind of like, I kind of need help with this, but I'm not going to say it. And it's, it's illogical for us to be ashamed of things that number one, are natural occurrences. And number two, we have no control over. So, so getting these conversations started, breaking some of the, the stigma and shame about it, being a listener when someone does tell us something is so powerful and we don't think about it that way. If you're not a talker, be a listener. Somebody needs to just get it out. And that could be what propels them to talk more and you could help create a talker, you know? So there's, there's some strides that we've made, but there's, there's a lot of little steps we can do to just continue. We certainly have a long way to go. Progress is being made and we have a long way to go. Both can be true. At the same time, I remember when I wrote about my fibroids and the myomectomy and um, for Hello Giggles, my mom's like, why are you putting like all your business out on the internet? (laughs) And it's like, because I didn't see these stories. And so I thought there was something wrong with me bleeding 20, 30 days a month. 
and just wanting to initiate or spark that conversation ultimately so that other people generally, but specifically for me and my passion and my mission on this earth, like Black women and girls to feel less alone, to know that they're not on this journey by themselves, that this is happening and just kind of like break the taboo. I mean, in my high school, it was an all girl Catholic school, but we were like throwing tampons down the aisle if someone needed (laughs) them, you know, whereas when I was growing up, like when I I got my period, like fifth grade, I think was very early and like no one talked about it. It was very hush hush. You just, you only knew because that girl got to carry a purse. That's how I, that's how our classes were. That was the girl that was allowed to have a purse because we weren't supposed to have purses in class. But if she had a purse, it's because she had something personal in there. So like there was all this secretive, you know, and boys need to know too. Hello? Like, (laughs) give me a break. Like, we just have to get better about somebody needs to hear this. Somebody somewhere needs to hear. If you're feeling it, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) if you're feeling it and thinking it, 10 times out of 10, somebody somewhere is feeling it and thinking it too and wishes somebody else would say something. Yeah. So just, you know, being that door for somebody else to hear it and say it is so important. It's freeing. It's freeing. It's so liberating. And I know with infertility journey is not linear, cyclical, even if you will, (laughs) you know, like there's ups and downs and everything else. Given what you know now, what would you tell a young Regina at the start of her infertility journey? Girl, go on a vacation with your husband. (laughs) I think that's the main thing is when we have these type A personalities where we're very used to. And I think that that's a byproduct also of being a black woman is that we have that there's that strong black woman persona that we have. But there is also being on our A game is safety for us. Yeah. If we show any inferiority, we're lost, discarded, forgotten, taken advantage of. And so we're taught from a very young age, don't show people when you're dealing with something, don't break under pressure, don't show any cracks in your armor, get it done, find a way or make one. What are you talking about? There's no excuses, get to it, let's go. And so when a lot of us who are, who experience infertility, when, when we started, we think I'm gonna knock this out. Cause I knock out everything. Okay. So I need to go to this doctor. Cool. I'm gonna go there. Then let me get this. You know what? And by next June, I should have this set up. Let me buy this house real quick. So that when we Ooh, Regina, there, you're too loud can, right now. I can make sure that I'm in the right school district because let me just knock this out. This is going to be quick. All right. Bet. And then we go to that first doctor and we like, so you saying, damn, that didn't work. Okay, cool. Okay, so let me see where I went wrong. Let me write this down. Let me get a planner and some stickers and let me write this all out. And you know, let me keep this job because I'm gonna need this insurance when I'm pregnant. We jump straight to the next. And so we have no concept of how much time we're missing living our life because we are trying to solve the problem. Let me solve this problem. I solve all the problems. This is how I got into college. This is how I got through with my GPA. And this is how I'm going to get to my next level of my career. So this thing ain't going to get in my way. Ovaries, they better do what I told them to do. Girl, my ovaries be like, girl, if you don't sit down somewhere. Girl, bye. <laughs> I do what I want to do when I want to do it, sweetie. Meanwhile, we ain't been on no vacations because I need to be here so that I can make sure that I'm working on this plan because I got to get this handled. 
we ain't went and did nothing fun as a just a couple because we're thinking, you know what? We need to preserve all that energy and money because and money because this is going to cost this much and I need you to be at your A game, sir or ma'am, so I don't have time for you to be gallivanting because we need to be focused. <laughs> Meanwhile, your whole relationship is on hold <laughs> while you're trying to figure out this next thing. So I would, I'm looking at it this Friday, tomorrow, Jabari and I will have been married 16 years. Oh, and as I look at that, thank you. As I look at that and I think about the fact that for <laughs> Judah's five. So we spent 11 or so years mm-hmm. <laughs> in this. And I look at every way that infertility manifested in my life by creating anxiety. It, it Because like you said, it's so cyclical and it has so many ups and downs. You start, that's the other reason why I consider it a mental health issue is you start to have so much extra angst and anxiety of feeling like something good is happening. Mm, some bad's going to happen. Cause I know, cause this is what, wait a minute, I can't get excited. So when I look back, there were things that we could have done and enjoyed, but my anxiety was so high based on what infertility was teaching me. Or again, wearing white today, there were so many times, I think my longest period was like 70 days or something like that. And I was like telling people, like I bled longer than Kim Kardashian's first marriage lasted. And I was like, Nobody is helping me. And so when it came to like trying to enjoy yourself or even people's jokes about sex and things made me so uncomfortable because I thought you don't even get it. Like I've been bleeding for three months. Ain't shit shaking over here. It must be nice. People. Yeah. You know, must be cool. But and and then you're now thinking about your self-worth and this man is going to leave me or is he even is this fair to my partner or whatever? And so when you think about all of those things, looking back, I would say, girl, if you don't buy you some soft cups and go live your life, a diva cup or something and go on vacation and quit playing with these people, because this is not going to go as fast as you think it's going to go for one. And for two, all of these things that you're thinking of as setbacks. God has to extend this time so that you get the tools you need so that you can carry somebody else. This is not about you, even though you feel it's an extremely personal thing. This is really not about you. And so everything else has to line up to work where you want it to work. And and you can't see it right now. You're going to be super pissed. So the least you could do is enjoy your time. (laughs) Enjoy your time, go on a vacation, do something fun, laugh, and tell these people, no, I'm not coming to that party because I'm tired. No, I don't want to do that because I don't want to do that. Or no, period. You said nothing but a word. Um, Everyone, thank you for coming to the ministry of Regina and the Broken Brown Egg. Uh, (laughs) That was today's sermon. We hope you enjoyed yourself. (laughs) Election plates will be caught through the aisles. All right, just mic drop. I have that you said it all and just captured so many of the thoughts and emotions that are associated with this because it's it's a lot. It's a lot. And having that community of people who get it is just, it means everything. It really does. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that my little crazy talk be helping. <laughs>
Because I'd be like, this is what I needed to hear. So I'm just going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, like you said, if you're feeling it, someone else needs to hear it. Somebody else is thinking and feeling the same thing. I think we just in there, unless there's anything else you'd like to add or share. I will just say it's the worst club with the best members. As my friends, Blair and Allie say at Fertility Rally, it's the worst club with the best members. And so one thing about infertility and reproductive health issues is it makes you, it's a frenemy. It makes you compassionate and patient. It makes it glaringly obvious to you that somebody is dealing with something that I can't see. So let me be kind to them. I think about all the times that I would go to work half bleeding to death or going to doctor's appointments on lunch breaks and before work and then after work and then coming to work and smiling and helping. And it makes you aware that everybody you encounter is dealing with something that you don't see. And so the people that you meet in this community are phenomenal people because they're going to work, they're dealing with family, they're taking care of relatives, they're trying to be their best self while dealing with trauma daily. And so if there's anything that I would say it would be one of the beautiful byproducts of this community is that feeling of not being alone and the things that you learn along the way about compassion and patience and self-care and self-compassion and kindness. And so I, I'm appreciative. I hate to give this health and infertility any credit, but I, I am know. <laughs> those byproducts of this journey because I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade those, the people that I've met and the revelations that I've been able to come to, I wouldn't trade them. Same, same. I got it. Likewise, I don't want to give any credit. And it's always like, because then it's also too, you have to admit, like when your mom's right, the bell, it'd be a blessing in disguise, whatever. Yeah, kind of thing. All that stuff. So I was like, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but yeah. like, it has taught me a lot. I have learned, I have grown as a person, a wife, daughter. And yeah, it's growth. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, Regina, this has been so lovely. Thank you for being part of the podcast, for sharing your story, for creating Broken Brown Egg and this community um, that is just so, so wonderful. And like you said, worst club, best members. And um, I'm so glad you're like our fearless leader. (laughs) Thank you. Well, folks, there you have it. The Gospel According to Regina Townsend. I appreciate you joining me for today's show. Special thanks to Amelia Harubi for creating this podcast fellowship and to all of you for tuning in. Take care and talk soon. Estados feministas Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Neria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.